Um, it is my understanding that this is uh, Missions Week, and so what I've attempted to do is try to take uh, what we are going to be talking about, we talked about in Sunday school, uh, was literally, hey, understanding and knowing the mission of the gospel, uh, to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't think, and this was my proposal to the Sunday school class, this is my proposal to us together as a congregation, and that is, is that I don't think we have a knowledge problem in terms of what the mission is. Um, I think pretty much anyone could quote Matthew 28 to some degree. I think the tension that we have in terms of our church is the men and women that Christ has called us to be to then carry out the mission. And so in Sunday school class we talked about what does it mean to be men and women of conviction um, and what does that word mean? We did that through the lens of Daniel uh, and his three friends and literally what they were willing to sacrifice and go through that they would not be bent in their conviction of serving the Lord. Uh, this morning what I want to do is I want to take an Old Testament character that you're probably all very familiar with. And I want to talk about the tragedy of a man's life who had tremendous potential to be a grace gift of God and traded it in and literally put aside his identity and allowed his humanness to dictate how he would serve the Lord. And I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, um, or how this is, this is going to be fun. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to investigate the life and ministry of Jonah. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Jonah chapter 1. And I'm literally going to try to do kind of a, I don't know, an overview of the book of Jonah and just kind of picking out a couple things. It's interesting, though, because what I find in terms of the life of Jonah is a, a, a reaction to culture instead of a proactive investment into seeking, now this is key, a proactive investment in seeking the heart of God. Because I promise you this morning that God's heart looks a lot different than our heart. And God views people a lot different than you and I view people. God's patience and loving kindness and grace looks a lot different than the measure in which we give to one another. And I don't know about you, but I really don't want to do ministry with the heart of Will Reichel. Because <laughs> I would say, burn him. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> okay, maybe. I, 
No, I would. No, I, no, there are times where, and you listen, you know what? I, I'm sitting where you're at, right? We're all on the, we're in the same boat, all right? And so this is what I tend to find whenever there is crisis or literally what I'm going to say exposure of moral decay in our society, which seems to be more rampant um, every day. Um, but literally what we have is we have a, a couple different groups of people, and I bet real quick you're going to find out which one Jonah fell into. But literally in response to tragedy or, or literally um, you know, things that are happening in our culture that are just twisted and sinful, you know, oftenly, oftentimes what we do is we have the grumblers and the complainers. I'm talking about... Like they see the issue, and all they do is backbite and grumble about it. If you don't believe me, all you have to do is go on Facebook. And many of our church people who love Jesus are just on Facebook venting all their complaints and all their grumblings because of what society looks like and all these sinful people. Then I have the, the section of believers that see the destruction around them and are just like, well, God's on the throne. You know, not much I can do about it, but God, you, know, you just take care of it. I believe you're on the throne and oh, God's going to, you know, whew, he's got to deal with all that stuff. You know. and then I have the people that are um, those that are the, uh, the bunker down people. And what I mean by that is, uh, I just actually, this is so funny, I just saw this on Netflix. Um, what is it, Doomsday Preppers? Have you ever seen that? You know what I'm talking about? These people who are just so fearful of the coming apocalypse that they've literally isolated themselves. They've built fortifications so that nobody can get at them. You know, they're impenetrable. They're stacking up food and ammunition and, you know, because they think their 22 rifle and a shotgun is going to stop like, you know, Something, I don't know what they're going to do, you know. But so, like, it's just really a fun show to watch. I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I get enjoyment out of that. I'm kind of sick and twisted like that. But, but you know, because you got those people, right, who are just, they, what they've done is they've seen society and they're like, my children aren't going out the front door. We're locking everything. We're, sh- we're just going to, we're going to bunker down until Jesus comes. Which really doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of the mission anyways. But we have those. And then we do, we literally, we do have a group who see moral decay as an incredible opportunity to showcase and shine the light of Christ. Because in the darkness, how much brighter does the light shine? You know, all you have to do, literally, and you know this to be true, all you have to do to be like, like right up there in terms of your job you know, where, the place of employment where you work to be like an outstanding um, attribute to your company, show up on time, don't cuss, don't complain, do your work and do it well. And you've just beat like 80%, you know, you know, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't take much to be different in our culture because darkness is becoming prevalent. But my God says that the light... Is powerful and that darkness cannot comprehend the light. It literally can't be within the same space. If you choose to live 
the way God has called you to live, you will have influence and power as it relates to the gospel. And so, how in the world does Jonah tie into this? And why are we going Old Testament with a New Testament mission? I'm going to suggest to you that maybe our identity in Jonah is more similar than we would like to believe. All right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray because I'm just going to kind of pick through Jonah, if that's all right with you. Um, I'm not going to give you the veggie tale version. All right? I promise you that. All right? No veggies in this. You know, we already dealt with veggies last class, right? Because that's what Daniel was eating. So no veggie tales, none of that stuff. Um, you know, we're, we're just going to hit some key points and then hopefully bring it full circle for us. All right? So let's go ahead and open up in prayer before we, before we begin. Gracious God in heaven, once again, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I want to thank you for all that you have provided by way uh, in which we can participate in the glorious gospel uh, that was literally authored and fulfilled through you. No man would have ever, they never would have constructed the gospel. They never would have come up with it. It never would have been within their grasp or within their reach that they would understand the power of a redeemer and the need of Jesus because of how broken we truly are. And so, Lord, this morning, just with great thankfulness and abounding joy, Lord, we thank you that you have done all these things to make a way for us to be a peculiar people, an absurd people who get to do things completely and radically different than what the norm would be. That we wouldn't be ruled by our flesh or our feelings, but by the power of Christ that dwells in us, that gives us a different perspective on life and how to address all of these things before us. Lord, be glorified in our time and our service this morning. Thank you for each one that's here. Pray, Lord, they would receive a blessing and that your word, which is just so powerful, would just transform our hearts, make us more like you. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You know, interesting thing about uh, Jonah, there are, you know, there are many different ways this book has been presented. Uh, maybe you had the awesome privilege. I didn't see, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't go to Sunday schools, but maybe you had the awesome privilege of seeing Jonah demonstrated with flannel graph, you know. I don't know how you first came to know of him. But usually there's like the highlights of Jonah, you know. We know about Jonah. We know he was supposed to go someplace and he disobeyed God. And we know that somehow there's a big fish involved. And he spends a little bit of time in the fish's belly. And, and he gets one of my favorite verses in Jonah. You know we're going to read it. Is he gets vomited up by the fish. I mean, that's what it says. New American Standard. Read it, love it, put it on your refrigerator. All right? All right. He gets like, you know, I just think that's great that the word vomit is used in Scripture. Um, I just, I, I'm sick and twisted. I love it. It's just great. And, uh, and so, you know, there's, and that's a great picture right before lunch, isn't it? And so here we have um, just really this, this wrestling uh, uh, of Jonah and the mission in which God has called him to and the opportunity that Jonah is given to influence so many lives. 
And yet, what I'm finding in the conclusion, I'm giving you the conclusion before I even get there, well, kind of, is that what was attempted to happen was it wasn't about influencing all the lives that Jonah was sent to influence. It was about influencing Jonah's life. You know why? Because he was a prophet. Which literally meant in the Old Testament, he was a representative of God. When he opened his mouth, it was as if God was addressing a nation through him. He better know what he's saying, for he is far accountable for how he represents God. You know what, I don't think that's any different than you and I today. We are, as the New Testament says, we are ambassadors of Christ. Literal representatives of him. Wherever you go, whatever comes out of your mouth, whatever you find your hands doing, wherever you see your feet walking, you are an ambassador of Christ. And that is your identity, that is my identity. I call myself a Christian which literally means, you know, you know, it's like little Christ. I want to be like the master. Who says it's Jesus? I don't want to think the way I think. I don't want to do things the way I do them. I want to do them the way Jesus does them. Because Will Reichel is an absolute failure at life. Like, I don't get it. I'm that guy that just doesn't get it right ever. <laughs> you know? And apart from God, I don't know how any of this is possible. It doesn't even make sense. And, uh, and we're going to see that kind of hashed out in Jonah's life. So if you would, chapter 1, just a couple thoughts, all right? This is just going to be kind of an overview. But if you would, chapter 1, starting in verse 1, notice this. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, and uh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah, but I love this, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from, a second time, from the presence of the Lord. A couple things here. First and foremost, there was not a knowledge problem with what God had instructed Jonah to do. There wasn't, at any point here, Jonah is not looking for his GPS, you know, looking for the map, kind of wondering, ah, where's Nineveh? You know, he's not getting lost along the way. He's making a deliberate decision not to obey the Lord. Not my job, not my task, not my problem. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is not a knowledge problem with the mission. Everybody knows that. But what is going to propel you and I to do the mission? What is going to propel Jonah to do the mission that he's been called to do? I want you to take notice of this. Nineveh, a, a wicked city, obviously Jonah uh, has great, um, you know, there, there's just real tension in his life. He's not, he doesn't want to go there, right? Uh, because not only of the wickedness, 
but literally either what has already occurred or what will occur in terms of what this people have already done to the nation of Israel. These are not allies. These are enemies. They are enemies of God, and they are enemies of his people. And so for him, this is, this is absurd. It's absurd. But I want you to see something here, because this kind of blew my mind a little bit. Notice that God comments on how wicked the city, the city is. You hear that, right? He tells you how wicked Nineveh is, the great city, wicked. But for Jonah not to go, listen to this, this is really key. For Jonah not to go to Nineveh was to flee from where the presence of God was. What? I thought I was supposed to wait for the city to get holy before I went to minister to them. It's interesting, personally, how this creates tension, doesn't it? You and I, abstaining from wickedness, trying to be like Christ. And yet, in order to participate in the gospel, where do you suppose we need to go in order to take the gospel? Jesus came for people who were lost and who were sick and who were in need. Where do you think those people were found? In the city. Jesus was going where the people were. And it was not based on the fact that they were a good people. Jesus did not come into your life. He did not come into my life because I'm a great person and Jesus needed me. That is just... It's, I mean, you know, yeah, that is laughable. I mean, it's just, it's absurd. So to not go to where the wickedness was, was to flee from the presence of God. just want you to hang on to that, because I think it's important. So you know the deal, right? He gets uh, on a boat, he's headed the absolute opposite direction of where he's supposed to go, which means I think he knew where Nineveh was. Um, And so as he is headed the opposite direction, he finds himself with a crew. Now remember, he is a prophet of God. What does that mean? He is a representative. He's a spokesperson. And he finds himself on a ship with godly men. Not even VeggieTales sells it that way, all right? Right? No, these guys are just probably really rough. I mean, this is probably, you know, this is probably like Peter's ancestors. You know what I mean? Peter in the New Testament, these are, you know, this is his like great, 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 great grandfather, you know, kicking it on the sea. You know, this is what these guys are. You know, these guys are roughneck kind of guys. And it's interesting because Jonah is given an, an opportunity literally, to proclaim God and minister. And you know what he's doing? He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And there's this great storm that arises. And it's of such enormity that these men who are rough and tough are all of a sudden fearing for their lives. And they know, because it has, and I love this part, it has a divine fingerprint on it. They know God is involved. And they don't even know him, but they know. 
Because that's the way you and I were created. Whether you came this morning knowing God or you don't know God, you know. <laughs> because of how you were created. That's what I love. When I'm talking to people and, and, and sharing Christ, all I'm simply doing is, is calling out a truth that is already in their DNA. I'm not explaining some new radical idea. I'm just calling out the truth that is already inside of them. That they are uniquely, wonderfully, and fearfully created. And when God shows up in his power and his authority, every knee bows. And so these men have an experience. They see God come, and Jonah has an opportunity. And it's interesting because he literally, this is, this is his, his answer to the salute. You know, guys, we know this is me. The sailors come to the conclusion this is, this is because of Jonah. And jo- the best solution he can come up with which is actually going to be really powerful later. He throws, himself into the, he throws himself into the sea. So the raging storm that's beating against the boat, that has everyone in fear for their lives, they cast Lot, the Lot falls on Jonah, he knows it's him, he knows. Which is so funny, because how often have you run from God? And God's trying to get your attention, and you know. Nobody has to tell you. You know. Now, this happened a little bit more drastic in Jonah's life, but you know. And what do we have? Well, we have, the, the, it's, it's amazing, the sea, the storm is stilled. And Jonah spends some time in the whale or the fish, whatever this thing is, the giant tuna, you know, whatever you, know, you want to do, however you saw it in your little flannel graph thing. This is exciting. Jonah's down there. He has some time to spend with the Lord. I would think, you know, I, you know, I would think coffee on the back deck, you know what I mean, with my Bible. A little bit nicer way to spend time with God in the gut of a fish. Probably stinks like I can't even imagine. You know, hey, that's an opportunity too, you know. But here's the interesting thing. If you get down to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I love God. He's so patient. You know, he really is. Um, Oh, hold on. I apologize. I do apologize because um, I I did say this. Hold on. Hold on. Um, Oh, here it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, chapter 2, verse 10. Refrigerator. So I want you to write this down. It's going to go on your refrigerator. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. All right, put that down. If you ever want to use that in witnessing, that is just a powerful verse. Um, I want you guys to stay on mission, you know what I mean? So I, I want to make sure you got that in your notes. All right, I apologize. Okay, so chapter 3. See, I, I am that guy. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation I'm going to tell you. And so Jonah arises, and he goes. Uh, and it's an exceedingly great city. You find that in the end of verse 3. Uh, the reason it's exceedingly great is because of its size. It's not just great in terms of wickedness. It's great in terms of its size, literally a three days walk. And so you can imagine that 40 days that Jonah is given is just about adequate to be able to 
to literally walk the entire extent of the city and proclaim this message that God has given to him. And uh, this, is, this is a very interesting thing because it says, it says now, uh, the end of verse 3, Now Nineveh was exceedingly great, three days walk. Verse 4 of chapter 3, Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk, and he cried out, saying, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. All right? And then verse 5 is like, like this is it. This is like the end game. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, which is literally his, roy- his royalty. He literally laid aside his position. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat on the ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and it said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink. Both, but both, man and beast, must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Oh, man, what an amazing way to understand God as an unbeliever. And so in response, the king issues this degree, the people do exactly what Jonah did not want them to do. Notice that Jonah's words, at least from what I read, do not offer any solution for the people to come to the knowledge of the God of the Hebrews. He is just telling them what's about to happen to them. Do you hear his language? That's all he says. Yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown, literally destroyed. And you know, he's over here just, man, you guys are going to get yours. Yeah, I'm glad I showed up as the prophet of God because you don't even know what's about to happen. God is going to take care of you in such a way you can't even comprehend. I can't wait till you feel the wrath of God. Man, I want you to know that that has absolutely no place in the mission of the church of God. God has not given us one ounce of speech, of condemnation over a nation or a people. And yet oftentimes when I hear people wielding the scripture like it's their tool to hack people to pieces and call judgment on people, they find themselves in the same boat, no pun intended, as Jonah. Because I don't know about you, I would love for somebody to recite any passage in the New Testament that says you and I have the right to condemn each other and wield the word of God as a, a, a weapon of judgment over people. And what oftentimes is the key factor that keeps us from going into the city and ministering to lost and dying people? Oh, those people are so filthy. They're so sinful. Oh, I can't stand to be around them. We get this like religious piety. It makes me sick because it has nothing to do with the kingdom. You know? You know what? You know what? And I can do, I, I'm going to say this because they, they are public, but you know a great representation of that? 
is go, go on news and, and, and check out what reputation the Westboro Baptist Church has created for Christians. You know, the ones that show up at military funerals with picket signs and do it in the name of the Lord and speak judgment over them. And you know what? In many regards, that is how our society views the church. Where in the world did they get that perception? And when in the world were we ever tasked with that responsibility? The words of Jonah to the people offer no hope. He just says, 40 days, you're about to get what's coming to you. You know the story, right? Verse 9. The question posed by the king over his people, he says, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. He understands in one sense who God is, the power and the authority that he wields, and there's something that's burning in his heart to repent. We're talking about a city, probably one of the most wicked cities of that time. And I just, you know, it's interesting because there are times, I know, listen, I've done this in my life and I'm just going to guarantee you've done it too. You have, at one point, I have, written people off and just said hopeless. There's just no way. I mean, not even God could. And that's a lie too. Because the power and the authority of the kingdom can change any heart at any time. It reaches into the deepest, darkest places. And that's where the glory of God is made the most manifest. Jesus didn't come for those who didn't need him, who were okay. They thought they were all right. He came for the broken, the sick, the people who were desperate. And they knew it. And so what happens when God saw, verse 10 of chapter 3, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Verse 1, chapter 4, listen to the motive of Jonah. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. An entire nation just repented, and Jonah is ticked. Because he desired wrath. That's why I'm saying if you and I continued to operate in ministry using only our hearts without ever taking on the heart of God, the amount of destruction that Jonah could have caused with his ministry, whatever that was, because I don't know at this point, if you call whatever he's doing and feeling at this point ministry, entire nation just repents and he's livid. Let him burn. I'm so glad that that wasn't God's heart toward me. God asks him in chapter, uh, chapter uh, 4, Verse 4, the Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? What a great question. <laughs> Jonah, what are you so upset about? <laughs> I mean, 
You know, God could have been like, I, I mean, I mean, I, you didn't live in the fish forever. I mean, you did get vomited up, you know. I could have kept you there forever. I didn't, you know. What are you so angry about? Like, you are my representative. You are my spokesperson. You are, whatever I'm doing, and you're a part of that, just be a part of what I'm doing. And it didn't get the result that Jonah wanted. And then there's this weird thing with a plant. You know what I mean? This, he's, so Jonah, because it's, it's like the final hour, right? And he's out there. He's ready for the fire to come down. He's just ready. He's got a lawn chair up there, you know, you know, sipping a nice tea. It's hot. I don't know what he's doing. But he's just watching the sea. He's ready for it to burn. And literally what happens? Uh, this plant, oh, it's hot out, right? This plant grows up. God, I don't even know why. I mean, this is God just, I think he just has a sense of humor a little bit. And just tries to get right at the heart of the thing. But the, this plant grows up. Jonah gets a little bit shady. He goes, great. Now I get to watch the destruction in the shade. Worm comes. You know, eats at, the, eats at the plant. The east wind comes and scorches the plant. The plant dies. And here Jonah's angry again. Because his shade was taken away. <laughs> Entire nation just repents. And he's ticked off about a plant. You know this story. See, you guys all know this, right? You all know this stuff, right? And then, and then God asked him another time, verse 9, then God said to Jonah, do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? He said, I have a good reason to be angry. Jonah, this is his, he, right? I have a good reason to be angry, even to the point of death. And the Lord said, you had compassion on a plant for which you did not work which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons? I love the fact that there's a specific number because God knows every single soul that's in Nineveh. Not one person goes uncounted. But you, dis- you disregard an entire city, you disregard an entire population, every soul is precious to God. And they don't even know the difference between their right and their left hand as well as many animals. I find it interesting, there, there's this weird dynamic between a plant, hey, what a great sermon illustration, Ken, thanks for preparing, right, this, little, this plant, right, and people, because it is said of people that you and I actually operate very similarly to a plant, don't we? Aren't you, aren't you and I like the grass? Here today, gone tomorrow. What happened to this plant? Here today, gone tomorrow. How much more value do you have in the eyes of God than a plant? And what was Jonah stuck on? The plant. He was more concerned about his comfort in a plant and actually not participating in what God was doing, but just to kind of watch from a distance. And if he was going to be a part, it was just going to be kind of like one of those, yeah, God's going to judge you and you're done, right? I think what Jonah didn't realize is that if indeed the fire of God came down that day and it was done with the motive that Jonah was showcasing dirty, filthy, rotten people, they deserve the judgment of God that that fire would have landed on him too. 
truth is, it would land on all of us. There's nothing that I have done to deserve the grace that has been given to me. I started this journey the same way you did, and this isn't really fun to talk about, but we were enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. I was an enemy of God. And I didn't do anything to deserve any of his grace. But I want, you, I want to show you something that changed my life that I think is the difference maker and would have revolutionized the life of Jonah had he understood how he was supposed to participate in the mission. Does anyone know by show of hands, where Jonah's name is used for the first time in the entire Old Testament. Where do we find Jonah's name used the first time in the entire Old Testament? Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 8. Another very, very familiar account, Genesis chapter 8. As we talked about in Sunday school, it is true that in the Old Testament, a man's name, which was, I believe, really divinely given by God, would often dictate what that man or woman would do to the glory of God with their life. And I believe that was the same to be true with Jonah. Genesis chapter 8, this is after God destroys his wrath, is poured out on the world because of sin. Because the thoughts of man were on sin continually. And so God does something. He takes a remnant and he uses the family of Noah and he puts them on an ark And the wrath of God is poured out onto humanity. God's like, we're going to start this again. Almost similarly to what Jonah wanted to happen to the Ninevites, but didn't happen, God did in Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. I'm just going to read because this is fun. This is good. Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But God remembered Noah. And all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth. And the water subsided. Skip down to verse 6. Then it came about at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made and sent out a raven until it flew here and there until the water was dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove from him to see if the water was abated from the face of the land. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot So she returned to him into the ark, for the water was on the surface of all the earth. Then he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark to himself. So he waited yet another seven days, and again he sent out the dove from the ark. The dove came toward him. The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a fleshly picked olive leaf. So no one knew that the water was abated from the earth. Then he waited yet another seven days and sent the dove out again, but she did not return to him. Did you see? Did you see Jonah's name? This this is just crazy. Jonah. 
means dove. So why is that important for us this morning? Because the use of the dove in Genesis chapter 8 was no different than what Jonah's life was supposed to represent. Do you know what the dove represented in in Genesis chapter 8? It was a sign to Noah and his family that the wrath of God had subsided. That was the sign of the dove. When the dove came back and gave him a fleshly picked olive leaf, it means vegetation was growing on the land. Seven days later, the dove didn't come back. It was a sign to Noah and his family that the wrath of God had subsided. Wouldn't it have been so much different if Jonah had gone to the wicked city and and proclaimed repentance but that he himself understood in fullness that he was a sign to the people of Nineveh that the wrath of God had subsided toward him in his life. And that it had the potential of subsiding toward them. Jonah forgot to live into the identity of his name. What if he was a dove to the Ninevites? See, thankfully, God spares the entire nation in spite of the word that Jonah brings. And that's why the book of Jonah is not necessarily as much about the Ninevites as it is about his own life. He just thought he was there to cast judgment. He was there to bring the wrath of God. So what does that have to do with you and I in our lives? You may recall the scripture. You don't have to turn there. But in preparing for the mission and the hard road that is about to be before them, Jesus begins to instruct the disciples in Matthew Chapter 10, verse 16, and this is what he instructs them to do. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as Jonas. Doves. Do you know, church, how we are going to make an impact on the people around us in carrying out the mission? It is going to be us operating in our identity as followers of Christ so that wherever I go, wherever you go, you know what we are proclaiming to people that will actually never allow us to judge or condemn another person ever again? I am a Yonah. I am a dove. I am a sign that the wrath of God has subsided. It has relented in my life because of Jesus. And so as I am proclaiming the good news of Jesus, I am simply calling men to say, 
repent and turn to the Lord so that the wrath of God, which is being stored up against sin, will be subsided toward you. That's all I am. I'm just a representation that the wrath of God has subsided. It has been completely satisfied in Christ. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that great news? I'm a friend of God. I am a child of God because the wrath of God has been satisfied through the cross. And now we're taken out. It's not because anything Will Reichel did. You do not even want to know Will Reichel. That's the Ken knew that guy. I don't know. And, you know, so, like, you don't want to know that guy. I don't want you to know who I am. I want you to know Christ because apart from Him and without Him, I am nothing. And because of Jesus, the wrath of God has subsided in my life. I'm a Yonah. And so are you. So to do the mission, you have to be the person. You can't do the mission without becoming the man or woman in Christ that God has called you to be. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer, and then Ken's going to lead us in communion. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, once again, Lord, we as your people come to you, and we thank you, Lord, because of the great work you've done in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that, whew, that the wrath of God has been satisfied because of the cross. And there's a cross that stands in front of us and behind us and alongside of us that completely covers us. The mantle of the doorposts of our heart are covered with the Savior's blood. That, Lord, when you see us, you don't see us. You see Jesus. It's not our righteousness. It's your righteousness, Lord. And, Lord, we're just examples, ambassadors, and representatives that the wrath has subsided in our life. And we are free. So, Lord, help us to live into that identity and not take for granted all that you have done that we might know you and worship you with our lives. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.